Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It's Wimbledon Preview Week here at Crack Rackets. As we know, it's our job to prepare all of you tennis fans for everything that will unfold at the year's third major. That's why we're dedicating this show to previewing Wimbledon this week. We're going to cover the event from every possible angle, prepare you for the contenders who will be competing for the title. We'll name the players we think might emerge as dark horses throughout the course of the event. Of course, we'll forecast how we expect the Americans to perform. We'll break down the draws when they do come out. It will be a jam packed week of coverage relating to all things Wimbledon here on this show this week. And perhaps some of you are wondering why the Great Shot podcast feed, not the mini break podcast feed for this content. It's because we still have a bunch of tour level events unfolding in this week prior to the start of Wimbledon. Still plenty of the top players in the world hoping to get a few more grass court reps in before the year's third major begins. As such, we're keeping the mini break podcast current day focus. This will be the place for all of our Wimbledon preview content. And thankfully, I'm excited as I will have a slew of informative and honestly, exceptional guests joining me throughout the course of the week to again break down Wimbledon from every angle. It will be a fantastic series of podcasts that we know all of you listeners will enjoy. Of course, if you do end up enjoying them, we always appreciate. Leave a review, like, rate, subscribe, share these episodes with your friends. Of course, follow us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets. You want to follow me directly, I'm at A.L. Gruskin. Again, we got other podcasts as well. The mini break podcast feed, Rockin' and rolling Monday through Friday, cracked interviews, talking with so many players, coaches still involved, engaged with the game. And then, of course, we've got our Breakpoint show, which break down every episode of the Netflix docuseries. Myself, Gil Gross, offering our candid thoughts on the new show, what it's done for the sport. So a lot of great content happening right now here at Cracked Rackets. You can find all of it on our website, crackrackets.com, or wherever you listen to your podcast. That said, you came here to this Great Shot podcast today to prepare for 2023 Wimbledon. So without further ado, let's get to it. Here is one of our many fantastic conversations preparing all of you tennis fans for the year's third major to finally begin. Westoff, let's get to today's show. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows, a man whose columns have graced oh so many platforms across the tennis universe. That is why it is always a pleasure to be joined by our dear friend, Chris Otto. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today, my friend? Alex, what's up? It's always good to hear those intros. They kind of pump me up. 
<laughs> That's the point. That's that I'm doing my job, I suppose. So I'm glad to hear it. And obviously, again, we've got the year's third major right around the corner. Everyone's curious. What are your plans for covering all the action at Wimbledon? Keeping it simple. I'm actually remote this year. Okay. Um, um, I would have liked to be at Wimbledon, but it just didn't work out. So we're going to be covering a lot for tennis now, tennis majors, cranking out as much as I can for those two. And in a way, it gets simplified a little doing it from home. So two slams from home this year, two slams on site. Nice balance, I guess. Yeah, no, I love to hear it. And look, obviously, we're going to break down all of the angles for the Americans heading into Wimbledon here on today's show. But I am curious more broadly, I've been asking everyone who's come on these preview podcasts, because I still think we're in a weird spot as we approach this Wimbledon. And what I mean by that for our listeners is we didn't have a Wimbledon in 2020. We had Ashley Barty look so unequivocally dominant on the women's side in 2021. And I do feel her absence from the tour is felt more on these grass courts than perhaps any other surface we have because we've seen Iga ascend to the level on both hard courts, on clay courts, win the biggest titles on those surfaces. We've seen Sabalenka, Rabakina do the same. And certainly I know Rabakina's a former, you know, won Wimbledon last year, but it feels like it's just her success so much more real, so much more repetitive this season. And then, of course, on the men's side, you have Novak Djokovic, who feels like the runaway favorite right now as we approach this Wimbledon. And after that, a lot of uncertainty. Yes, Alcaraz won Queens Club, but he still played fewer than 20 matches on the surface. Same with guys like Sinner, like Runa. If you're confident in Tsitsipas, in Medvedev, in Zverev after the month they've put together, Bravo, props to you. You have more gumption than I. I set that scene, Chris, to ask you the question. Heading into this 2023 Wimbledon, how certain are you of anything we're going to see unfold? So funny how you mentioned. Um, well, there's one certainty, and that's Novak. Yeah. That's that's the big certainty that anchors all of this. Grass is in a surface that really is aided by experience. He's got all the experience in need. Having won seven and 28 matches consecutively at Wimbledon, being so confident, sticking to his routine, skipping all the grass court, just saying like, I'm comfortable with how I've been doing things. This is my my element. This is my favorite tournament. And you know he's so eager to put his best foot forward, to tie Roger on the all-time list, to tie Margaret Court, make a little bit, bit more history for himself. That's the certainty. You're right, though, about the rest of it. Women's side is crazy. I'm thinking this might be a great opportunity for the world number one, Iga, who has struggled a little bit on grass recently, though she is a former girls champion and has mm-hmm. proven she knows her way around the surface, but I think has her game has evolved. It's almost become more difficult for her to do what she does so well on the other surfaces on grass. It takes, it takes nuance. It takes a change in the way she plays last year. I don't think she gave it enough time this year. I'm very excited to see her playing in bad Homburg into the quarterfinals getting matches under her belt, that's a big sign. But you're right. Don't know what to expect from Rybakin, who's played one match and pulled out of her last event, still showing some lingering illness. Look down the field. It's wide open on the women's. There's a lot of players that can do well. And I always choose the players with experience on the surface. Owens Jabour comes to mind. A, a lot of players 
Uh, Petra Kvitova comes to mind. What has been going on with her since 2014? Why is she not reaching the quarterfinals? This is but she's like the literally the best grass quarter of her generation, right? But anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and I don't mean to cut you off. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, to take it a step further, Kudermatova, Samsonova. Potapova, Sabalenka, yeah. the Azarenka, the Russians, the Belarusians, they didn't play Wimbledon last year. And yeah. so I know, again, like I watch Kudermatova or I watch an Alexandrova play. And I'm like, with everything else and all the uncertainty, why not these mm-hmm. players making a run on the women's side? Similarly, on the men's side, you know, again, I respect Alcaraz as just a tennis player, right? You just like tip your cap. You're like, I don't care what surface we're playing on. Hard courts, clay courts, grass courts, carpet courts, could be plexiglass. Carlos Alcaraz will figure out how to play good tennis on that surface. But man, it's like Berrettini, Kyrgios, last two finalists, they do not have the form. You know, the traditional serving profile, like Hercots, eh, you know, is he playing that well? Like, are you going to really push yeah. all the chips in and be like, oh, Nicolas Yari, like he's doing it for sure because he's serving so well? Like, no, probably yeah. not ready to do that either. I'm fascinated. I think this, you're right. The men's side, there's a cloud that hangs over all of it, and that cloud is a Nimbus cloud by the name of Novak Djokovic. I don't know why he's a Nimbus. I just, I think that's, personally, that's that's my cloud of choice, I suppose, I like Chris. It. Yeah, okay, good. I, just, I didn't want to offend in case you had a different cloud preference. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's, I'm really excited to see how it all plays out, and with those openings in the draw certainly comes some opportunities for the Americans. And that's going to be the focus, of course, our disc- of our discussion today. The Americans we will see competing at the 2023 Wimbledon in both men's and women's singles. I suppose this is another 30,000-foot view question as well before we get to specific players. Six months into the season, first three months were a jam. The last three months, maybe a little bit of a pull back on the reins, at least at the top of the men's and women's games for the Americans. How you feel in 30,000 foot view heading into Wimbledon about American tennis? Still very good. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that I'm disappointed about the clay season of, of America in general. I still think culturally there's something about it where they don't embrace it the way it should be embraced. It's a long slog. I get it. Um, and, and I can't say that it was horrible. You know, I think Francis Tiafo and Taylor Fritz put forth decent efforts. They were grinding. I just feel like a lot of the, the collective American heart, other than the guys who were built for clay, isn't really in it. And I feel like it's it's just it's a bit frustrating. And I think they're glad that we're on grass, that we moved on to a faster surface that's more accommodating to their games. And I know I'm glad, too. And I don't think it changes much in terms of, the expectations are still high. This season has been a breakout season for so many Americans. The thrust is still moving in that direction to, I think, we're headed for a Grand Slam champion on the men's side at some point in the next couple of years. And let's go. Let's 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 forget about the clay and let's move on and, and show what we can do on the men's side in particular. Because you've asked me to look at both sides of Americans, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it looks very good on paper in terms of what happened last year at Wimbledon and guys who are relatively new to the surface having breakout performances, Tommy Paul, 
I, I mean, a lot of players last year did some good stuff at Wimbledon, and I expect it to happen again. There's a lot of depth and a lot of excitement, and I think they're all genuinely happy to be playing Wimbledon, to be playing on grass and feel confident in what they can do. And that's how they're going to thrive. That's the environment they're going to thrive in. So I see it looking looking pretty good. I think that's fair framing. I would say, yes, it was. you're absolutely right. It was a disappointing clay court season. But given what the calendar looks like these last four or five months of the season, everyone's still in position to do what they were hoping to do this year. And so you come out of the clay, I agree, it's sort of status quo. Did Fritz have a big result? Not really, but he was solid everywhere. There were a bunch of quarterfinals mixed in. He's still in the year-end finals hunt. He did his job in a surface where I actually thought I – I mean, there was a time when people were calling him Clayler Fritz, which I wasn't, but it's a testament to he got better on clay this year, even if it wasn't great. You know, that, that the best result was Tiafa winning the title in Houston speaks to that it was a pretty poo-poo American yeah. men's clay court season. But still, Tiafa won Houston. Tommy was a little banged up, and so he just didn't play that much. Corda did not play during the clay yeah. court season. That's a massive absence. And guys like it Nakashima, is. Brooksby again, a next-gen mm-hmm. 2.0 class that just felt on the precipice of being in the mix. They kind of pulled back on the reins as well. But, you know, Mackie held firm. Marcos held firm. Eubanks held firm. All Shelton has to do is put wins on the board and he holds firm. Now, the free ride is almost over. But, you know, again, all these guys are, to your point, in position to do well. And say it's the exact same story on the women's side. Goff, did she have a title-winning run? No. Did she make a lot of quarterfinals? Yes. Has she had a bad loss this year? I would still argue no. JPEG, mm-hmm. same thing. The third round loss to Mertens was her first, like, huh, sort of loss in probably 18 months. And so, you know what? We're going to give her the benefit of the doubt for that one. Madison Keys and Sloan are still always top 50 dangerous. The real thing to me is even Sansa Nisimova, there there are players like McNally, Stearns, Mm. Navarro, Montgomery, obviously what we saw Alicia Parks do early in the year. There is just, you know, a wealth of really young, talented women's players that if they get wild cards into summer events or, you know, again, just being on hard courts. I agree. We're where we want to be. And so we will now turn the page to Wimbledon. I asked you to come up with a homework assignment. Again, I I said I need title contending Americans. I need Americans that will outdo their seed, who are the unseeded players who can make moves. Let's start with the sexy conversation. Let's start with the title contenders. And I think we should start on the women's side because Novak is Novak, and that's a whole different conversation framing. Mm -hmm. But on the women's side, again, Iga's Iga, but she hasn't done it at Wimbledon yet. Sabalenka has made a semifinal at Wimbledon, but haven't seen a ton of her this month. You know, Rabakin is the defending champ, but she's a little bit banged up right now. There are three seeded Americans. So those are the ones I imagine you considered. Pagula, mm-hmm. Goff, Keys. Are any of them in your mind legitimate title contending dark horses this year at Wimbledon? Not quite. Not quite. Okay. But you know, close. Mm-hmm. If if there's a real tr- if there's a true implosion, my pick would be would be Pagula, just by a smidge over Coco. 
you'd think that you'd want to go with Madison Keys, who has far more experience on grass, is a more lethal grass court player, 18 and 8, lifetime at Wimbledon, three trips to the second week, built for the surface in a lot of ways, but hasn't really been at her peak at the slams and I, in the last couple of seasons, and I don't know if can expect her to do that now. i got to go with the top 10 horses in terms of if I was really going to say, in the case of an implosion, who has a shot? And I like JPEG. She she's kind of doesn't have the experience on the surface. And I think Coco over over the past has had a better record than her. But I just went by feeling and said that if somebody was going to win it, it would be JPEG. She's probably better suited on grass than her record shows. And then maybe that's all I can give you. Or I could go this way. I could say whoever wins the quarterfinal tomorrow between the <laughs> and golf is my pick if you want to do this show again tomorrow. Because they're very close. And I think Coco, she's transitioning a little bit. She's got a new coach now, Per Reba, who was coaching uh, Wen Zhang, who is, it's a very exciting move and a big move for her to add another person to her team after losing Diego Moyano. So I think some changes are going to come. And if he can go about his business in the right way he's going to certainly help shore up things within her game with her forehand that everybody talks about and she does so well even despite some of the struggles that we all seem to harp on her she's very good on grass 15 and 6 lifetime 4 and 5 against the top 50 you know the breakout came at Wimbledon she's got that surface kind of under her thumb she knows her way around um, but I, I don't feel like she's ready to win the title and I don't feel like the Google is ready to win the title if I'm being 100% honest I agree with you completely. And, well, not completely. I agree with you 50%. I don't think either of them are quite title contending candidates yet for a confluence of reasons. For We'll start with Pagula since she was number one on your list. Again, she's 31 and 10 this year. It's just like, is it the quietest 75% win percentage through four months I've seen in some time? Absolutely. Like, there's just still not bad losses in every big event. Australian Open, quarterfinals, Doha, final, Dubai, semis, Miami, semifinals. Now, I know Indian Wells, round of 16, but she lost 7-6 in the third, 13-11 to the eventual champion. Petra That's a good Medeva. match. Yeah, it's just like, you know, again, Madrid, quarterfinals. Now, she lost first round at Rome to Townsend. She lost third round to Mertens and Roland Garros. And what did she do? She took three weeks off to reset. Yeah refocus and if you watched her play Chinwen in that first round match uh in uh Eastbourne this week oh she looked good she looked really comfortable on the surface the physicality the ability to change direction at will she's just really good at everything and again she's so good against players who she should beat over the course of the past two years if you're asking me who's the surest thing to get to the round of 16 or get to the second week, I probably pick Pagula. But I actually think from the title contending standpoint, I agree. I can't go the keys route because I just haven't seen enough of it this year, even though I think she is 18 and 8 on the season. Yeah. I think I pick Goff because you mentioned it. Goff is 19 years old. She's 18 on six, 18 and six on grass court. So not only has she played 20 plus matches on this surface, she's been really good on this she's surface. Very good. Yeah, throughout the course of her career. And the biggest difference for me in golf this season has been the aggression, her willingness to move forward behind that first serve, which has always flashed the potential to become this elite weapon. I think we've reached the next stage 
of that development with her serve, with her first strike, with her willingness to move forward. She's an athlete on a tier different than just about every other player in the women's game. And look, you know, again, for Coco Goff this season, 26 and 10 overall, quarters of Roland Garros, round of 16 Australian Open. She's been good at the majors. It's been really hard to beat her there. She's lost to Iga and Ostapenko. I don't think either of those are bad losses. Yeah, I agree. In, and the, in ev- the, the last point I would make good. is every, and I apologize, didn't mean to cut you off, is every young player has that moment, right? Where it's just like, oh, they're here. It ain't going anywhere. And yes, Coco Goff has made a slam final. So some would argue she's already had that moment. But she didn't beat any big names on that way to the Roland Garros final last year. Is this the Wimbledon where it all clicks, where, you know, Sabalenka has an off-serving day and, you know, again, just can't target that Goff forehand. Goff kind of works through it. You know, Iga's not quite comfortable with the footing. Maybe this is the one surface where Goff has a chance to get her. I don't know. I just, it's, it's always been Wimbledon for Coco Goff. So mm. I guess in the young, if you're going to ask me to believe in any narrative arc, that's the one I'd believe in. Did I sell you? You kind of did, yeah. This, the talk <laughs> about the serve and the aggression behind it. She's better suited for grass than, than JPEG. I mean, there are some yeah. things about JPEG's game, the, the flatness of it. Her, her movement and her maybe, you know, there are certain ways that JPEG can get around on that surface and have more success, certainly more than she has to date. She's never been past the third round at Wimbledon. It's probably the toughest slam for her, really. But with Coco, I mean, she, you know, 15 years old, she came out there and she wasn't near the player she is now. And she's able to get herself into the round of 16 quite famously. So, yeah, it makes a little bit more sense, you know. And if she, and if she does some of the things that we, we want her to do, shore up that forehand – like Chris Everett was talking today on an ESPN conference call about her maybe shortening up the backswing. There are a lot of different theories of what she needs to do to make it more effective or less of a liability. If she does that, I see it happening. It just doesn't seem like a this year sort of thing, and I think you probably agree. But, yeah, if you're creating an arc and you got to pick one, you kind of sold me on it. All right. I like to hear it. By the way, speaking of arcs, we're going to do this podcast conversation very recent between the two of us. Whomever between Pagula Goff in the semifinals is going to play Madison Keys, who's also in the quarters of Eastbourne, and Keys is going to beat her. And Keys is going to go on to win the Eastbourne title. And then it's going to be like, you shouldn't have written her off. Uh, because to your point, I think you said, what was it, 18 and 8 in her career at Wimbledon or something oh, yeah. like that? And just, yeah, her serve, her weapons. Well, Madison, you know, again, the time to beat Madison Keys is rounds one and two. Because when she gets to three and four, that means the service firing, and that's when she's most dangerous. And so I would say that's the women's title conversation. On the men's side, look, four seeds, Tiafo, Fritz, Paul, Korda. Mm. Who are you who do any of that? I mean, this is the non Djokovic conversation. Let's be clear. Because the answer to the question is can anyone beat Djokovic? I think we both would say no. So yeah. in this world, Oh my God, Sergei Stakovsky's back and he takes Djokovic to five and Djokovic wins that match, but you're not going to believe it. In round two, Lucas Rosal knocked out Djokovic in a tight four set match at Wimbledon. Um, yeah. You know, let's, yeah, mir- exactly. Late wild card announcement. Uh, we're mm. breaking news here. In that scenario that happens, which of, which of the Americans are you leaning on most to say, you know what, maybe this could be the one? I feel, I feel like it shouldn't be an easy choice, but for me it was. 
Interesting. For me, it was Francis. He's magic. He, he's got that. He's got that it factor. Plus, he's got touch. He's got the the. He's got a lot of tools that make him an all 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 court player on the grass. He's got a lot of things that he can do to do damage. And I just feel like this year in particular has been more his year than it's been Taylor's year. Sebi's been good, real good, but but been injured, and so we haven't seen as much as him. Maybe he hasn't been able to thrive as much as maybe he would if he was perfectly healthy this season, and that's his big issue. Um, but Francis, to me, winning the title in Houston was a big deal, and then winning another one in Stuttgart on grass just shows what he's capable of. I just think this is a player who's starting to believe that he has that little lightning rod, that lightning bolt that can get him where he wants to go to the ultimate goal in tennis. Yeah, it's a long shot. We're talking about what if something happens to Novak for him to do it. But I feel like even at Indian Wells, his semifinal run there in the match with Medvedev, which probably could have been a better match from him. It just shows me that he's believing that he's starting to do things that he would have never been able to do last year. And it's all because of that U.S. Open run. And also, of course, due to the steady progress he's made, maturity in both his personal and professional life. And that's why he's definitely my pick. So I want to give you credit. You talked me into it. I had a different pick coming into today. I also need to be clear and shameless plug here, but Gil Gross and I are currently doing a show, The Breakpoint Show, where we break down every episode of the Netflix docuseries Breakpoint. And earlier today in preparation for our podcast breaking down episode nine. I watched the Tiafo centric episode and I could not agree with any part of your framing more. Just you watch in that episode as Wayne Ferreira discusses, look, we know what Francis is capable of. The key is getting him to believe it and getting him to focus on executing what it takes to be that top 10 guy day in, day out. And the narrative for Francis Tiafo is just, he has been that guy this season. You've seen it since the end of the U.S. Open last year. He's 28 and 10 here in 2023. He's won titles on two surfaces and neither of them is hard courts. You know, he also made an Indian Wells semifinal run where he really was a whisper away from coming back in that match. A whisker, excuse me, away from coming back in that match against Daniil Medvedev. Look, like three out of five sets beating Francis Tiafo, good freaking luck because that guy again just on a plane physically with the Novaks with the Alcarazes with anyone else you want to put on that elite tier of athleticism I might even throw Holger on there now Uh, I think Francis unequivocally is in that conversation quietly if I asked you to guess right now amongst top 50 players on the ATP tour where does Francis Tiafo rank and hold percentage oh you know, I don't know, but 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 since you're mentioning it, I, I got to think he's somewhere in the top ten, right? He's fourth. Yeah, it's Berrettini, Tsitsipas, Yari, Tiafo, and wow. that matches what I've seen with my eyes: the power of his first serve, the precision of and willingness for him to just say, "You know what? I've always had these weapons. I'm going after the first ball. I'm getting to the net. You better beat me from there." Which, by the way, is what you want to do at Wimbledon. Now, the counter, of course. Big serve to his forehand on the right day. You have the recipe to beat him. Are we sure? Like, on this surface, his chip return, which has continued to improve on that forehand side, dare I say, isn't it a little more effective, Chris Otto, in the way it stays low? And, you know, again, the slices, the angles, the creativity, all of those 
skills he has accentuated so beautifully by this surface. Yeah. You made the argument, so I don't need to talk you into it. I think it's a very good one. I guess my counter would be, are we in the same spirit of, are we sure it's not just his time? And I know he beat Tiafa last week, so it's easy to make that narrative right away. But like, when Sebi Court has been healthy, he's a top 10 player this year. He just yeah. has been healthy for five weeks total. Yeah. But I still, I don't know. If I told you Court is healthy, at this Wimbledon, I'm just buying all the quarter stock. Are you where I am with him? We, yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm high on him for sure. Mm-hmm. I just, I just feel like if you stack them up, and you're talking about a guy that's going to capture lightning in a bottle, I'll go with Francis right now. Just like there's a certain element of like it's uh, some sort of an intangible something that I see. Like it's a state of readiness. It's a state of him like seizing a moment, and I feel like. Sebi's a guy that I think you can count on to do some incredible stuff. I don't know if he could muster seven best of five matches at this phase of his career physically. It's going to happen at some point. You could be right. It could it could be sooner than than later. But that's my take on it so far. I, I feel like quarterfinal might be his his top mark at this point. Yeah. And the only thing that's holding him back maybe is a little bit of experience and a little bit of physicality. It's not stuff that it's going to be hard for him to acquire. Francis's losses at the majors are actually spectacular. It's just <laughs> who beats him? Zverev, Hachinov, Alcaraz are the last three. Two mm. five-set, four-set losses to Gofen, sandwiched in between losses then to Fritz, Felix, Hachinov, Djokovic, Struf, who was seated at the time, Medvedev, Medvedev, Zverev. Okay. You got to be really good to beat Francis Tiafo at a major. I, I Your argument yeah. very much resonates with me. Can I ask, and it's not that you're picking against Fritz, but no, I guess what's your barometer for success for Taylor entering this uh, Wimbledon, who's 33 and 15 overall, who's 31 and 25 in his career at Wimbledon, but of course last year reached the quarterfinals before getting knocked out 7-6 in the third by Nadal. One and two on the grass, or excuse me, two and three on the grass courts in the three warm-up events. Is that the hesitation? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I think I had him, believe it or not, I had him pretty close with Tiafo and ahead of Sebi in this in this potential. Interesting. He's just been knocking at the door a little bit more. You know, Sebi's got the Oz, Oz Open quarterfinal and some other good results. And, and in the round of 16 at Wimbledon on his debut. And by the way, he's so new to this game in a lot of ways. It's, it's kind of crazy how much success he does have. But but I feel like but I feel like Taylor's been around and knocking on the door. And I think the two and three that you alluded to on grass so far this year, definitely disappointing. Might work in his favor. Give him a little rest. He's he's grinding so hard and has been grinding so hard for two seasons. Maybe this helps him take a breath. You know, he had his first breakout at Wimbledon last year, quarterfinal, had the experience with Nadal, which is crazy. I feel like he's knocking on the door. I just, like, I go, I I tipped Tiafo just because of his athleticism. I just see him dancing up to the forecourt, making beautiful clutch volleys and, and crunch time, those kind of things where Taylor's going to have to grind out wins like he, he sort of always does, even on the surface. His serve might be – well, now that you mention it, though, it looks like Francis maybe has the edge on serve, but Taylor's obviously got that serve working for him. I feel like he's ready and set to do damage here. Yeah. Let's just be- a little bit of a coin flip. 
no, let's be clear. Taylor is seventh in hold percentage. He's doing just fine. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's like 0.6% separates the two. Yeah, Tiafo 87.2, excuse me, Fritz 86.3, 0.9% uh, yep. hold percentage. Which, by the way, 1% hold over a season does add up. It's like five holds here or there, which could swing five matches and be the difference between ranked seventh, seventh and 15th at the end Absolutely. of the year. But um, no, uh, it's still marginal. And it speaks to the fact that, look, Fritz... The weight of his ball, dealing with that on this surface, you're just going to be pushed back. Good freaking luck. And yep. I guess this leads me to a game. Well, I want to play a game of what's the barometer of success for these seeds. So we'll do that rapid fire in a second. But the one guy we didn't talk about, and I don't want to lose sight of him because not only does he have the jawline for it, I just think Tommy Paul will be very good on grass courts throughout the course of his career. Grass courts are actually where Tommy Paul's top 20 push began. If you look last season, he goes quarterfinals East uh, Queens Club, quarterfinals Eastbourne, round of 16 Wimbledon, captured that lightning in a bottle as we've phrased it and kind of has rode that momentum ever since. Lost to Sarundolo 6-4 in the third in Queens Club, lost 6-6 to Struff in Stuttgart, got a good win over Sebi Baez today. He wasn't healthy during the clay court season. He is now and just, again, another guy whose athleticism, he can play real tennis on this surface. That's the sort of athlete that he is. He's comfortable moving forward. He has, dare I say, I always like to frame it like this. He's the best of both worlds, though not as good as either. He has the creativity and improvisation of Francis Tiafo with perhaps the technique structure at least closer to it of Taylor Fritz and it's like too you know this porridge is too hot this is too cold Tommy Paul porridge just right if you want me to be honest I, because I wanted to come in with a hot take today I was going to go quarter one Tommy two Tiafo three Fritz four mm-hmm. you have disrupted my swag because I agree I, I just think Tiafo has to be one tell me why like I guess for Tommy, who's going to be a top 16 seed, what this is where we'll start the rapid fire. What's the barometer of success for him at this event? Well, it's a little bit draw dependent, but I think he's got sure. to, you know, get back to second week again. He did it last year on his debut. That's wildly impressive. Clearly, he's, he's comfortable on the surface, and this might end up being his best, you know, his best slam it when it's all said and done. He's still so new to making these kind of waves on it. On the, you know, at the slams and at the big events, and, and he's been doing so well in the last year and a half. Breaking the top 20 this year is just massive. I think he's got a new level of confidence, new level of self-belief, and his athleticism is just off the charts. And it works on grass just like it does on, on hard and clay. And if he's healthy and if he's feeling confident, I don't see any reason these four guys we're mentioning, they're, not, they're kind of interchangeable right now. And that's the beauty of it, maybe, is the competition – between them all, and the fact that when one guy makes a step in a dir- the, the the direction of north, the other guys think that I'm next. Yeah. So then we'll play the game over under two and a half of Paul Tiafo Fritz Corda make the second week. No two draws out yet. The over under. I think that's the fair number, right? Because two Tiafo and Fritz are going to be top sixteen seeds. So again, barring upset, they should get there. Same with Tommy Corda's one out now. Again. To assume all three get through without being upset is a little unfair. So you knock them down yeah. one and you need a half over under two and a half. It's very fair. I'm going to go over. I'm going to say three. 
I think I'm leaning with you. Yeah, a hundred percent. And by the way, you know who's missing? Junior Wimbledon champ Riley Opelka, who mm. there might be a podcast in the thousand podcast, thousand plus podcast catalog we have now accumulated here at Crack Rackets, where I say he's going to win the 2026 Wimbledon. Tell you what, we're getting to 2026 a little too fast for my liking, but yeah. I stand by the take always. And yeah, I think that's fun. Uh, on the same token, Goff, Pagula, Keys. I still think the over-under is two and a half. How many of them get to the round of 16? I'll go under with that. Okay. I think there's, I think- a, lot of, there's a lot of tough competition on the women's right now and a lot of hunger and a lot of opportunity. There's going to be a lot of players at the top of their game that- you know, the hot admires of the world are going to be very tricky. Um, so I'll, I'll say the under. I'm also saying one of Noskova, Fruvertova. Give me a teenager to do something. Because there's just. Fruvertova. Yeah, exactly. Any of the Ovas. You got an Ova in your last name. You have my attention at this Wimbledon. Um, yeah. Andreva. Yeah. It, it could be funny. It's I don't think great. she's officially qualified yet. But or how, how about our OG, Clara Tawson? Like, why yeah. not? Yep. I and agree. so it's just, I agree with you. That's why it's like, it is tough. That said, I'll disagree with you. I'll take the over. I'll take Goff Pagula to get through to the round. Uh, you're going to pick against Keys. You know what? I am going to pick against Keys. <laughs> uh, give me two. So I guess that's the under. No, the then under. I'll take the over. I'll take Keys. I'll take all three. <laughs> you know what? Let's be creative here. I'm going to go out on a risk. All right. We've talked about the seeds. I think we can't really outdo seeds from there. So let's talk about the rest of the Americans, the unseeded players who we think can make moves. And just to set the scene for our listeners, who is getting in to the main draw of Wimbledon? That's an American. On the men's side, you've got Fritz, you've got Tiafo, you've got Paul, you've got Korda, you've got Shelton, you've got J.J. Wolf, Brandon Nakashima, Maxime Cressy, Mackenzie McDonald, Chris Eubanks, and then a bunch of different options pending qualifying. So I think we'll have at least 10 American men in the main draw, no matter what. On the women's side, I've already mentioned Goff, Pagula, and Keys, of course, joining them. You'll have Sloane Stevens, Lauren Davis, Shelby Rogers, Alicia Parks, Danielle Collins, Peyton Stearns, Emma Navarro, Katie McNally, uh, and then I believe Claire Liu got in on the ranking. And then He's a bunch in. of players with the option of getting in via uh, qualifying, whatever it may be. Now, I am a little sad because I had a whole Ashlyn Kruger rant prepared for today. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. Ashlyn Kruger knocked out second round of Wimbledon qualifying. Still, I'm buying Kruger stock heading into the summer. That said, introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Let's start on the women's side. Who is the first unseated player that came to your mind when you were coming up with your list and why? Oh, I like Katie McNally. Ugh, great call. Make the case. Uh, she's just been on a, you know, she's maturing. She's kind of growing into herself as a top 100 player, really moved up the rankings considerably over the last year. Now she's knocking on the door of the 
top 50. I think she's at 63 right now, but grass is just, I mean, you know, we know her game. She's the type of woman that's capable of serving and volleying. great net player. We've seen what she can do on the doubles court as, as part of uh, Makoko. She's destined, I think, to be, a, I feel like you talk about, I mean, was it ever a surprise that Coco Vandeweghe had a lot of success at, at Wimbledon? I think that the same thing is going to happen to Katie McNally. I think down the road, for sure, maybe she's not quite ready, mature enough to do it this year. But then again, there's always every Wimbledon, every Grand Slam, as a matter of fact, there's always like in the second week, we're looking at three, four names that we said had never been past this point of a slam before. And look at her now. I feel like Katie McNally could be that player this season and grass is definitely a surface for her. I think she's 23 and 11 across all levels for her career, which is certainly very good. I think it just makes a lot of sense that she'd be good on the surface. And I expect it to happen at some point and maybe it could be this year. Yeah, no, she's never won a main draw match at Wimbledon, but has won qualifying matches there in the past. She's made a WTA tour level quarterfinal on the surface to your point, 23 and 11 overall. And it's the game style first serve first forehand willingness to move forward. Those weapons are rewarded most on grass court. And to some extent, obviously, if you're playing a Sabalenka or Rabakina, they're the amplified version of this, but it doesn't really matter who who McNally's opponent is or what they're doing on the other side. Katie's going to get to her spots. Katie's going to have her moments. And I agree with you. I think that's why she has to be on this list because I'll tell you what, the this seated name that's going to come to everyone's mind is if she draws like an Anne Helena Kalanina, but I think that's a little, honestly, selling Kalanina short. But even if she drew like a Magda Lynette or a Daria Kasakina from a matchup perspective, or mm-hmm. you know even even a Martic or any of these players, I look at up and down the list. Like she is going to have the ability on the right day to go serve plus one with them, and yeah. on this surface that matters, and so. She was the number one name on my list as well. Well, number two after Kruger, sadly. But by the way, McNally, two and two on grass courts so far this year. She lost 7-6 in the third to Potapova in Birmingham. No shame Good in result. that. Yeah, 6-3 in the third to Celine Neff, who beat Ashlyn Kruger today in Wimbledon qualifying. So in my books, not a bad result. Um, I'm in. On the McNally bandwagon. I think that's a big, uh, good pick. I believe I asked you for two names, if my homework yeah. assignment was correct. Who is your other women's name? Well, I'm going to take the page from your playbook and say Emma Navarro because uh, yes. I know you've been high on her and been tracking her results over the last 52 weeks this season, just winning a lot of matches across all levels. Maybe it's time for her to kind of notch up a big win of the slam, that sort of thing. I mean, um, lacks experience in terms of playing elite talent. She never won a top 50 match, and she's 0-3 lifetime at the slam. So it's a little bit of a hill to climb for her, but the m- momentum is definitely in her favor. Into the quarters at Ben Armberg, that's a great result. Uh, finals at 1,000K on grass, I think, last week. Rising up the rankings, I think playing with a chip on her shoulder, she's been like unfairly labeled this rich girl who's like just a pro tennis player because her family has wealth in it, and it's clearly not the case. I think she's... Quite a quite a hard nosed player and, and one that's been frankly quite impressive and, and and seems to have a bright future. It's unfortunate that the comparison is these two just because it feels like typecasting two players whose parents are extraordinarily rich. But it's a professionalism that it, it reminds me of Jessica Pagula when I watch Emma Navarro. She just goes about her business and there's just a smoothness to it. She's never overwhelmed. 
the serve, the forehand. I say this again, you know, again, it's basketball terms, but I'm trying to bring common sports. It's just finding her spots on the court and being where she wants to be to find her forehand, her confidence level moving forward. It's a little Mm -hmm. flatter, so the aggression works a little better on this surface. Yeah, she made a 100K final last week on grass. Like, how can you not take that seriously? She beat Salize Cornet earlier this week, and she's playing Rebecca Masarova, who, by the way, I watched the Masarova and Drescu match yesterday, and I challenge anyone to watch that to not, if pressed on a podcast, to like just be like, man, Masarova might be the best player in the world someday. Because, oh, did she look excellent yesterday? But Navarro wins that. Now you go semifinals one week, uh, finals one week, semifinals the next. Now you've got the big Mo on your side entering Wimbledon. And I just think confidence on this surface. Yeah. So many aren't going to have it. Emma does. That's a great name. You know, again, she was obviously on my list. I was hoping you were going to bring her up so I could get to my last name on the women's side of things. And again, no disrespect to Bernarda Pera, who's really good, but the backswings are just a little big. Sloane Stevens is still Sloane Stevens, but Wimbledon has never been her perhaps fondest cup of tea game style-wise. I know she struggled a lot since February, but game style-wise, why couldn't Alicia Parks just get hot on the serve and just – I mean, again, the return of serve is an issue for her on this surface for sure – but if weapons are the thing you need most coming onto a grass court, coming into a grass court tennis match, she definitely has them, Chris. Where are you with Alicia Parks? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, she's just got to pull it together. I mean, in my notes, I have has lost her last four on grass, but the surface makes sense for her, right? I mean, it totally makes sense, and it totally think that it's a there's potential there for her to figure the surface out and to play her best tennis on it, and, and I think. That's for her to figure out. It's not always the players that have these tools that you you can you tr- you think so many players out there with big serves and first strike tennis can make can work on the grass, but they've got to. You mentioned the return. They've also got to be comfortable moving on it. And I'm not sure where she's at in terms of that. But yeah, I mean, I definitely when I look up and down the list, she's she's up there. She's probably would have been the next one I would have mentioned. Yeah, I just you know again, it's Shelby Rogers is the more proven version of this game style where the big serve, the first strike can be overwhelming. But for me, it's how aggressive she is in moving forward. That is why I, I, Alicia Parks, I just feel like could have a big Wimbledon run in her someday. You know, via yeah. like a, like how Cressy beat FAA last year. It's like why couldn't Parks do something like that where she just has that day on serve where it's just like sorry, you just happen to be the opponent on the other side of the net, but. No, it's going to, again, be fascinating to watch what I believe will be double-digit amounts of American women competing at Wimbledon. On the men's side, again, who was the first name you came up with as you looked at the unseated players who can make moves? The unseated. Check my, let me check my notes here. That's what I like to hear. Again, just to go through the list because I know we I mentioned it earlier quickly, but unseated Americans are Shelton, Wolf, Nakashima, Cressy, Mackie, I think I skipped Garone last time. Garone, Eubanks, and potentially a wave of qualifiers. Of those names, who intrigues you? They're all good. I actually, They're all good. I agree. I know. I know. It's pretty nice. I actually put four on there. You know, I mean, yeah. I went Shelton, Eubanks. Then I said, well, I can't forget about Wolf and Mackie because Mackie's playing great right now. And, and Wolf's into a quarterfinal in his first season on grass. And he also makes sense on the surface in some ways. 
but I, I like Ben, of course. Shelton is intrigues me the most. Forget about the one and two. He's so new to the surface. He he could have a he could be a lot different player next week than he was last week on it. He, I think he's very much kind of learning it, figuring it out. He's got that serve, and you just want to watch him play on grass. And he's a big match player, so maybe there's more to come from him, even though he hasn't been able to kind of crack it and make that huge first splash that we maybe thought he would. And I love Chris Eubanks right now. In general and on grass, it's just clicking for him. And I feel like he's just stepping into his own skin as the top, you know, making the top 100, that whole process, believing in it, having his friends around there and encouraging him, Francis, Ben Sheldon, those guys are all so tight. And they're all just making him, he's like this pillar of belief now. And he thinks like the things that he thought were maybe impossible a couple of years ago, he's just like, no problem. I can get it done. I can't, it's, it's not a difficult scenario to imagine him getting a second week at a Wimbledon. I don't know. I don't know why in my mind, it doesn't seem that crazy anymore. I literally had in my notes. All right. If he picks Shelton, I'll pick Eubanks. If he picks Eubanks, I'll pick Shelton. If he picks JJ, I'll pick Mackey. If he picks Mackey, I'll pick JJ. Yeah. The other guy who you can't forget is Nakashima made the fourth round last yeah. year and honestly yeah. was a, was very close to beating Nick Kyrgios. Like he played really well last yeah. year. Mackey's a guy who's made a fourth round at Wimbledon who just beats you to the spot. He. <laughs> Relax when I say this, listeners at home. Don't crash your car when you hear this next statement. Mackie is as close to the personification of if Roger Federer was a mortal, like Roger Federer is immortal, but if he was a mortal, he would have a two-handed backhand and he would play like Mackie because the contact point, the forehand, how he moves forward. First of all, the real take is I don't know how much Ray Sarmiento film you've watched in your day, Chris Otto, but Ray Sarmiento is actually – like. You can like Grigor's forehand. Ray Sarmiento's forehand is Roger Federer persona. Like it's, I love this. It's structurally the same. Go check the former USC All-Americans film. But that's my Mackie take. Like just the grace, the footwork, the precision, so the dry. Yeah. yeah. And it just is rewarded on this surface. And by the way, he beat Fritz earlier today. And, you know, Eubanks, to your point, he beat Shelton 7-6 in the third earlier today. Shelton got him a bunch at Challengers last year. That was a big confidence-boosting win for Chris. I know mm-hmm. that's a lot of names and not a breakdown at one. But I agree with you. As disappointing as the clay court season was for the American men – all of them. Shelton, Eubanks, you want to throw in Cressy because of his serve. Of and again, what he did last year. Honestly, JJ's serve, his forehand combination, good luck on this surface dealing with it. I think they all can make third rounds. And what I mean by that is they can all beat a seed. I don't know how many of these guys, if any, can make a second week. Now, I think all of them could. And I think if the over-under is half a guy, that's uh, half an unseeded American makes the second week, I might be tempted to take the over there, Chris. I'm not sure who's going to do it, but this is where the depth and the manifestation of the many bites at the apple theory kind of mm-hmm. comes into play for the American men, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the over too. I think they're all they're all running pretty hot. There's a lot of self belief. You know, we talk about Mackey. Just uh, two and zero against the top twenty on grass. He's really just kind of hit the hit the ground running on grass this season. I've always liked him as a competitor. I think he's got a shot. You know, JJ's new to the surface. Let's see. There's, there's a lot of guys that are just very much kind of like dipping their toe in the water for the for the first time. Ben Shelton. They're going to grow from here, but I feel like 
this is so exciting to watch just like the whole wave of American men, what's been going on that these guys are going to be really confident and you're going to see some surprises. And, and, uh, wouldn't, and Brandon, like you mentioned, he's very good on this surface, very comfortable on it in terms of his moving. Some guys, they don't fit like the prototype of what you think works on grass. Cause I always have this guy, show me a servant volleyer and I'll tell you like, this guy should be great on grass. That's not what, what Brandon does, but he finds his way around that surface so nice. I mean, I remember watching him in qualies, I think. I think he lost in the final round two or three years ago. Just like, man, this guy is just so comfortable on this surface. I don't know why that is. Like, there's not like a lot of grass to play on, but Americans seem to just like it. I guess it just suits the aggressive player, right? And then we, we've always been breeding these aggressive players. But, I mean, totally exciting for for these guys i don't know about marcos i don't know where he is on the surface and where he is lately but he's a grinder and i think you you never can count him out from winning a couple matches at the slams he's got to be really one of my favorite humans and favorite players in terms of maximizing his potential of all these americans i don't think he gets enough credit for it um but yeah i mean this the whole unseated crew is definitely going to be one to watch in week one it's going to it's going to be cool there's going to be some exciting stuff happening well, with that in mind, my last question then for you, because I appreciate you diving into all the names with me. And again, if you're not already, Tennis Now, every platform you can find. Chris Otto, Tennis Majors, of course, throughout the court, as he alluded to earlier in the show. Wimbledon's in a u- unique place in the calendar. And I had a professor, shout out John U. Bacon, my freshman year of college, who would always say, don't use the word unique, because if it's not one of a kind, it's not unique. But what makes Wimbledon special for American sporting fans and why it's in a unique place in the calendar for American sporting fans is it's mm. right around July 4th. And this is the one spot where football is not happening. NBA is done. NHL's done. Baseball's baseball. But whatever about that. Wimbledon has the opportunity – or in my opinion, I've always viewed Wimbledon as the one opportunity in te- uh, for tennis – to capture the mainstream American sporting fans' attention. Is that a fair assessment? Like, this is why I think it's so important for Americans to have a big Wimbledon. Because the U.S. Open is what it is, I know. But it's, you know, again, it's right around the start of school. It's right around Labor Day weekend. And as much as you want to watch everything day in, day out, a lot of kids are cramming their summer homework in. A lot of kids are already back and playing sports every day. And so they can't watch every match the same way you can first week of July is that your impression of Wimbledon in the American sporting conscience as well? Not just obviously the grandeur and the pageantry, but just the idea that like, this is the one time when it kind of can dominate the sporting calendar. Yeah, I think you're right to a point. The prestige of Wimbledon, and you, you make a good point. I was going to say, well, what about the U.S. Open? But you're right. The NFL is kicking in. You're like you're talking week one of the NFL. College football is already rolling. And those two – really detract from the attention you're going to see on tennis everywhere but you get an american man specifically and maybe even american woman woman at this point because we got so used to serena it was kind of like no big deal like of course serena is going to win wimbledon but you get you get an american deep into the tournament semis or finals of of either one of these and it's not so right now i think there's there's a hunger for it there's a passion for it and yeah wimbledon is the name that I think it comes to everybody's mind first. And I think for you and I, who are purists, we, we kind of like, really, it's that much more popular than Roland Garros or the Aussie Open because we're invested and we're completely like 100% in there. And we say there's 2,000 ranking points or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, what do you mean? But it just is. And like, if you see an American man in the semis of, of Wimbledon, it's going to be huge. And then let it, you know, God, God forbid it'll be the finals or a title. 
eventually it'll happen, right? Yeah, it's it's just amazing. It's just one of those tournaments that everybody's switched on on. And yeah, you mentioned Fourth of July weekend. I think not sure how much that plays into it, but definitely the the public is on it. It's like the it'll be mentioned in the sports reviews and the mainstream sports, the NPRs and the CNNs, they're all talking about it. So it's a great opportunity and a great platform to make, to make some noise and to get this pulse of American tennis grow a little bit more. And this, this wave that we all know we're riding right now. So let's hope it keeps moving forward. Right. Absolutely. And that's why it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. And again, if you're looking for the work, at the Fanchild on Twitter. You can find him Tennis Now. You can find him Tennis Majors. Of course, you can listen to the Lucky Let Cord podcast as well. Chris Otto, it is always a pleasure to have you on this show. I appreciate you joining us. Be safe. Be healthy, my friend. And obviously, always feel free to stop by. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. Also, and by the way, I want to say I was sad that we didn't get to talk after Roland Garros because, man, I was full of I was just full of words to, to throw you away after that tournament. But you know, it was a missed opportunity. Two cents on Paris. How is it as an in-person experience? I mean, you've been to the four slams. In-person experience. You've been to Australia? I haven't been to Australia. I was going to have, have to correct Yeah, that. I was going to say, I actually, as I said, I was like, wait a second. I don't think he's been to Australia. Of the three you've been to, U.S., French, Wimbledon, the in-person experience, rank the three. That's how we'll end the show. <laughs> There's... I am a little bit of a Francophile, so I am 100% invested in the French scene, the language, the culture. It's very different. It's got a really different vibe than Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, and I appreciate that. Wimbledon blows your mind, the time machine, the history. Uh, All I can say to Americans who haven't been to sporting events and tennis that often, it's the Wrigley Field. It's the Fenway Park of, of like, you know, if you ever step in there or like, you know, any kind of ancient stadium, you just get that feel. And then the U.S. Open is just mega nuts and it's grown up. That was used to be one of my least favorite. It was just too crazy and I couldn't figure it out. But now after several years of doing it on site, I've got my nooks and crannies and I really appreciate it more than ever before. But you know, the Roland Garros to me with the clay and just uh, it's a totally different element, all all its own little island. So I do appreciate it. There's nothing like Wimbledon, though, and seeing that grass like the day before the tournament when nobody's on site. It's just so you just want to go out there with a wiffle ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's see that I'm happy I asked the question because, yeah, I was I was watching the Eastbourne Center Court and I was like it was day one. I was like, oh, don't play on this like. Just let this sit here. This is beautiful yeah. as it is. And no, I I agree. I think again, it's on my list of things to do. Get to all four majors before all is said and done. And you know, again, always on my list of things to do is have Chris Otto on the podcast. So Chris, again, thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. We will chat again soon. Thanks, Alex. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with today's guests, preparing all of you tennis fans for what promises to be an exciting 2023 Wimbledon. Again, we will continue to preview all aspects of the year's third major here on this show throughout the course of the week. So stay tuned for further episodes with more fantastic guests. Of course, if you're looking for what's happening right now in the tennis world, head on over to our mini break podcast feed. You're looking to hear from players, coaches currently active in the game. Head 
on over to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And of course, for pr- coverage of the Netflix docuseries Breakpoint, head to our Breakpoint Show podcast where Gil Gross and I break each and every episode down. Of course, how do we manage to produce all of that content? Because of the endless and tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who as always has a of an episode. Uh, of a job to do excuse me day in day out making all of these episodes possible a shout out to him and again a shout out to our entire cracked rackets team for all they do behind the scenes so that it is easy to do things like preview wimbledon here throughout the course of the week with all of that said though that'll do it for today's wimbledon preview podcast for our fantastic guest our super producer daniel westoff and everyone at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say Hey, great shot, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.